Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. There is a sound coming from heaven and shaking the earth. The chorus of voices getting louder and louder, more beautiful, more harmonic. Heaven crying out and the earth replying, Father, you are holy. Jesus, you are worthy. Holy Spirit, you are glorious. Your kingdom come, your rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven place where our greatest longings are met for relationship for healing for freedom for vision as our voices rise in a chorus your kingdom lord is here the kingdom of god is at hand at one time we had no identity as a people but now we are your own people chosen by you at one time, we had not received mercy, and now we have received your irresistible grace through Jesus, our Lord. So now we worship you. We long to show others your goodness because you have called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. The kingdom is here. Jesus, you taught us that the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that we can observe people won't be able to say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in our midst. God, would you give us eyes to see it, the kingdom right here within us, among us, around us. This is our call. This is our prayer. And this is why we are here in this moment. We seek first the kingdom and your righteousness. Kingdom come. Amen. Well, good morning, C4. Really glad that you're here this morning on the last day of summer in a pouring rainstorm. We're glad you made it today. So good. Want to say hi to everyone in Auditorium B. Let's say hi to them. One, two, three. Hi, everyone. Glad you're there. We also want to say good morning to all of you watching, listening online in Ontario, in the United States, and other places around the world. We're so glad you've decided to join us here this morning. I was in grade six, and I was up at a family camp. Some of you know it called Fair Havens. Anyone know that place? A little north of here. And my parents had decided for us to go up for the week. I've told this story uh, years ago. Some of you will know it. Uh, so I was up there, and I was enjoying the week. And in the middle of that week, I found out that there was a competition. And the competition was whoever caught the largest fish could create their own Sunday. And I was determined to win my Tiger Tail Sunday. And so I was up there and I was really excited. But there were rules at Fair Havens, as all conservative camps have, on Sunday, no golfing, no swimming, no fishing, right? And then during the week, also when church was on, you're not allowed to fish. Well, my parents were free people, liberated people, and so I went to them and I said, I am determined to win this event, um, and my parents quietly said, shh, John, don't tell anyone, Jesus is freedom, go fishing while we go to church, praise the Lord. So, 
uh, as they were at church, I went fishing. I got my fishing rod. I was by myself. I went to the Trent Canal. Oh, the beautiful Trent, whatever. Anyway, and I got my, I remember the lure to this day. It was uh, one of those lead heads, and I, I got this purple sort of worm. It had sparkles. It was like silver sparkles, and I was determined I was going to win this. This was going to be the deal, so I started casting with lots of faith. I'm going to do this. Nothing, 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 and then it happened. Suddenly, it got hit very strongly to the point where I almost went into the water. I started wrestling. I swore it was 42 minutes. I'm sure it was two minutes. And as I was fighting, I was expecting, you know, something profound like a sunfish or a bass. And then it get more and more vicious. And then I, I freaked out because what emerged was a northern pike. And it was a large northern pike. It actually was this big, not this big or this big. It was actually this big. So I fought this all by myself. And then I realized I had a northern pike and I was terrified because they're wolves and they have teeth and I didn't know what to do and I don't like slime. I'm fishing. I'm alone. What am I going to do? And, and so uh, I, was, I was unbelievably excited. So I, I got the net and I, I got it in and, and then I did something that I'll never forget. I realized that my parents needed to see this fish. And not only that, I also realized that the man who had the final say for the Sunday that I deserved, only child complex, that somebody, I, he was in the church too. So what did I do? I took this fish in a net. Still, I didn't even d- 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 disattach the, the hook. I, I just kept it in there. And I ran to the church with this live fish. Well, at that moment, church was ending. People were just starting to come at the lobby, and I burst into the lobby with this live northern pike, slime going over. Look what I caught! Look what I caught! Remember, illegal fishing. I'm in now the lobby declaring this. Old women are starting to scream. They have no clue what's going on. I'm running with this live fish. My parents are like, John, it was supposed to be a secret. Now we're going to... Anyway, the Pharisees are coming. Um, Anyway, so... uh, I was in there, and I found the man. I said, look at the fish that I found. He's like, that's great. You weren't supposed to be fishing. Oh, but look what I caught. He ushered me out, and oh, by the way, I just want to say, oh, I got that Sunday. I just want to say that. But here's the point. I ran into a place with a fish, a live fish, and it caused massive disruption. But that is exactly what the kingdom of God looks like when it shows up in a church. That's exactly what the kingdom of God looks like when it shows up in a neighborhood, a family, and a region. Suddenly, when there are rules, and there are this, and there are that, and things are proper, when the kingdom of God begins to show up again, it is like young life bursting into old life, new wine and new wineskins, and there is messy, and it is, un- it is complicated, and it, it disrupts what is, but it is worth it because it's actually what's supposed to happen. We're praying this as a church kingdom come. We sincerely, in this auditorium, in that auditorium, across our whole community, we are asking that God would come and continue to mess up and disrupt what we think is okay. See, most people want safety, not freedom. Jesus comes to give freedom, not necessarily safety. And so the kingdom of God, which we've been learning about, The heart of everything Jesus did is this phrase. The ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the acts of Jesus. His very presence was to bring, to introduce, to establish this thing called the kingdom of God, or Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. And as we've been learning, actually Jesus himself was the kingdom come. He's the only person ever in history who fully submitted to the reign and rule of God perfectly. The kingdom of God is not a place yet. 
The kingdom of God is not the nation Israel. The kingdom of God is not the church. The kingdom of God is not found in geography or religion or politics. The kingdom of God is any space or place where the reign and rule of God is welcomed and embraced and accepted. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're a member of the kingdom because you welcome Jesus to be your savior and also your king. The kingdom is about God having relationship and rule. Did you catch that? The kingdom of God is about having relationship and rule. So many people want Jesus in his relationship, but they don't want his rule. You cannot have one without the other. It is love and holiness. You cannot meet God and not be changed. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule, the relationship and rule of God in the human heart, which we know the kingdom not yet fully come will eventually show up in the new heavens and the new earth when all of creation will be made right. Now, in the last few weeks, we've talked about the great value of the kingdom. We've talked about what grieves and kills the kingdom. We've talked about what happens in a life or in a family or in a church or in a region when the, king, the kingdom and the king really does come, the impossible But today I want to shift our whole family focus to Jesus' invitation to joining him in bringing and spreading the kingdom that has already come. Now before we get to the invitation, we must have assurance and we must have a strong starting point to launch out. Because if our center is secure, if our assurance is unwavering, then watch out. We will do crazy things like bringing fish into wrong places. Now, before I keep preaching, I just want to stop. Can everyone just take a moment, put their phones down, Bibles down, do this on Auditorium B. Can we just take a moment to pray? Because this message, in my opinion, has grand significance for our church. So I want us just to take a moment and get our hearts right and our, heart, and our heads right. Lord, hear our prayer. Everything you do among us is important and welcome. But Lord, at this moment, would you prepare this church for this message? Prepare me everyone in auditorium B, everyone watching online, just come, Lord, close now. And I I give you every barrier to what I'm about to preach on. Pain, distraction, rain, our weak, history, bias, prejudice, sin, the evil one. Like, Lord, you see every barrier. And I just, I'm asking with my community, uh, our community, would you just clear it out now uh, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Can you turn to Matthew chapter 3 with your device or in a paper Bible? Matthew chapter 3, before we get to the invitation that Jesus is welcoming us to, I I want us to take a moment to start all the way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' baptism. It says in Matthew 3 that Jesus went from Galilee to his cousin John to get baptized. In verse 16, here's how it begins. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, as we as a family have been learning time and time again, the Holy Spirit was given first and foremost to affirm Jesus' identity. Because God the Father says yes and the Spirit is upon him, Jesus' miracles, teaching, life, death, resurrection, and ascension are all valid. And here we actually see the true God in his fullness. We have God the Father's voice. We have God the Son in flesh. We have God the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove. We have one God found in three persons. We worship a trinity, or as theologians love to call it, it's monotheism mutated. And that's our God. Here's God in his fullness. 
But not only is the Holy Spirit given and lighting on Jesus to affirm who he was and who he always was and who he is, the Spirit of God is also given to Jesus, as we've learned, to lead him and empower him to do the God, God the Father's will. And again, I've preached this before. All of Jesus' life up to this point, he does nothing. But right after the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus, he begins healing, casting out demons. He begins to proclaim and teach in public. This is the whole point of why the third person empowers the second person of the Trinity sent by God the Father. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus chose and would have not been able to bring the good news. This is how he chose not to grasp the power and privilege of being God, though he always was God. He only did what the Father wanted him to do under the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus never did ministry out of his divinity while he was on earth. He did it unpowered by the Holy Spirit. He didn't heal out of his divinity, cast out demons, teach or proclaim. He did it. That's why we've been learning that Jesus not only is our Savior and our King, Jesus also is our model. And so now, notice this. The very next verse, which is the next chapter, Matthew 4.1, notice what happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Notice that. Jesus, though being God, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the who? Everyone say it loud. By who? The devil. The, now, I love how Mark puts this. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him, drove him to go into the wilderness. Now, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience who had accepted Jesus as a Messiah would have caught this so quickly. See, the nation of Israel also went into the wilderness for 40 years. And notice this. They were led by day by a, a, a cloud in the, during the day and a pillar of fire at night. The same Holy Spirit that led Israel into the wilderness is now leading Jesus into the wilderness. And the point is this. Jesus is going to be the faithful Israel. Remember, if we, we talked about this last year. In Deuteronomy 8.2, when they're coming into the promised land, God says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert for these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And they went in and they actually failed. But Jesus is going to go into the wilderness and where they were supposed to bring the kingdom come, he's actually going to bring the kingdom come because he is going to obey the Father perfectly. Now what's the first assignment Jesus is given by the Father under the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit? The very first thing God wants to do on earth is have a power encounter. The very first thing that Jesus does publicly in his ministry is he faces down the devil. It is a clash between the two princes of the two kingdoms. Now remember who the devil is. He's not mythology, he's real. And John describes him best like this in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Can you imagine facing down him in a conversation about temptation? His native language is lying. His very DNA is darkness. But God the Father wants a clash of the kingdoms right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. God had... God has declared in his word that Satan is called the God of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He has real ownership and authority over the human family. 
So this clash of princes, this clash between true and false gods, the clash between the king of the kingdoms begins. And Jesus is at his most vulnerable right when it begins. Verse 2 reads like this, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now again, this predominantly Jewish audience would immediately understand what was taking place. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and they'd go, I've been learning the Old Testament my whole life. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was given the Ten Commandments. Elijah, the greatest miracle worker in history, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And Israel was there for 40 years. See, here's what Matthew's already bringing home. Don't you know who just showed up into the wilderness? And don't you know who's showing up in the world? And don't you know who's still showing up in this church? Moses was the great lawgiver, but Jesus is the greater lawgiver. Elijah was the great miracle worker. Jesus is the ultimate miracle worker. Israel was God's people, but Jesus is ultimately the face of faithfulness. Jesus has come to fulfill everything that was foreshadowed, and it's going to happen right now. So Jesus walks into the wilderness. Satan comes. I'm sure Jesus gaunt, tired, cracked lips, parched, swollen tongue, smelling like exposure, 40 days, vulnerable. And like the first Adam, Satan would use the same vehicles of temptation and his desire is that the second Adam would give in like the first. See, Satan wants to kill the kingdom come before it could spread any further. So he tried in heaven to overthrow the kingdom, and he lost and was thrown out. He tried killing the kingdom at Christmas through Herod and the slaughter of innocent children, and he lost there. So now he'll take a direct but more subtle approach. What did he do all the way back in Eden? Do you remember what he did with Eve and Adam when he pointed to that forbidden tree and that forbidden fruit? He pointed out three things. He talked about physical need. He, he, he talked about sensuality and fame. And he talked about illegal wisdom. And so he does the same thing with Jesus. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man, humanity does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God... He, he, he said, uh, sorry, he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes the Bible. Isn't that wild? For he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, well, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Two temptations down. Maybe this one will work. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you. If you just bow down and you worship me. All the color in the world, all the military, all the food, all the sexual pleasure and experiences and all their varied forms, all treasure, all physical reality, all of humanity. Satan says appropriately, this is all mine. This is my kingdom in its entirety. And if you want it, you just need to rebel just a little bit. See, the goal is to give Jesus everything he's been promised without the cross and without the church. Did you catch that? I'm going to give you the easier way out. Oh, I know you're the king of kings and lord of lords. And I know the Bible says one day you'll own everything again. But if you just worship me, you'll never have to face the cross even once. That moment, Jesus, though absolutely broken physically, says, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. And the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now this is why this matters for us this morning. 
Even before the cross takes place, the power of the God of this world is broken by God in flesh. In this moment, the kingdom of darkness is already broken by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here is the first grand clear picture of kingdom come. One beautiful, life-giving kingdom overthrowing and getting rid of a dark, old kingdom. The false power of Satan is ultimately broken at the cross, but is first broken here in the wilderness. And so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, begins to spill out only from this moment forward. It begins to break out and flood into ancient places of darkness held since Eden itself. Look down at verse 17. It says that after Jesus is baptized and empowered and after he overthrows the devil in the wilderness, only then, verse 17, it says from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Say it loud. What's the last word? Near. The kingdom of heaven is now here. The reign and rule of God is near. It is among. The reign and rule of God walks among you. It is offered to you. It is actually in you if you meet me. See that word near? We've referred to it a lot. It comes from a Hebrew word named karav. I was sitting in our 905 community last weekend and our new youth pastor Paul was preaching. And I I only caught this part of the message and, and I was so struck by it because I had never heard it before. And he began to describe this. I was so thankful for it because he said, and and I started researching it. See, Jesus was referring to this karav every single time he said the kingdom of God was near. In in, in Numbers 16.9, Moses is talking to some priests and he says, Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and has brought you karav near to himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle? Or in Psalm 65, 4, blessed are those you, God, choose and bring to live in your courts, live near in your courts. Or Jeremiah 30, 21, and the leader will be one of their own and the ruler will arise from among them and I will bring him near and he will come close to me for who is he who will devote himself and to be close to me. See, the word near means close. It's when a person or community is in the very presence of the living God. The word means super close, intimate. You cannot avoid it. You enter into holiness itself. You are enveloped in the presence you walk into. The kingdom of God is near. It is here. It has arrived. It is karav. When Moses faced the burning bush, God said, do not carave with me. Do not come near unless you take your shoes off. Why? Just as a sign of respect? No, it was more. God wanted human flesh to touch the presence of God again. What was lost in Eden is being restored. Jesus comes along and says, don't you know the kingdom of God is now near, face to face, intimate, breaking out. And this is where the story gets very interesting. After Jesus' baptism, And then after Jesus' empowerment, and after Jesus' first major power encounter between the other prince and himself, after he declares this, he now begins to involve people in this ever-growing experience of the kingdom of God. We find Jesus next in northern Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. He's walking among fishermen, the heart of the economy of the area. And it says in verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They're casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. This is the poor form of fishing, by the way. This was not sort of the commercial side. These men were very poor. They could only fish from the shore. 
And Jesus finds these two brothers. Verse 19, uh, and he says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. At once. They left their nets. They left their jobs, their home, their families. Uh, Just so you know, Peter, we know, had a wife and a mother-in-law at his house. He left them. I'm not sure what that means. Anyway, he left. Um, But here, he just left it. And that was done. They moved from fishing to fishing for people. Going from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat, and their father Zebedee was preparing the nets. These are the wealthy fishermen. They have large nets. They work in teams at night. And so Jesus finds them mending nets during the day because they do this all at night. And Jesus called them too. And immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. They, they leave everything on the spot. Family business, nets, boats, dad's business, obligations, responsibilities. Actually, physically, right in the story, it says they leave dad holding the nets and say, hope it works out for you. Now, when I heard this as a child, I was intrigued by this. Because I imagined Jesus sort of swooping into the scene. And he had never met these people before. And they were just like, oh, like so in awe. They just said, I'm leaving everything. That's not what happens. If you heard a passage preached this way, it's wrong. So you need to read the Gospel of John, the first chapter, to really find out what's going on. Peter and Andrew and James and John all knew Jesus by this point. See, Andrew had been a follower of John the Baptist. Andrew and three of them at least, maybe all four, had already seen Jesus turn water into wine in Cana. Jesus is already now in his first full year of ministry. And all four of these men have been exposed to Jesus' teaching and miracles. They knew who he was. And they were thinking he probably already is the guy in some form. So it was not some stranger Messiah coming up and saying, follow me. Yes, I will. No. They had been observing and seeking. But here's the point. Jesus is not calling them to faith in this situation. He's calling them to mission. It was John Calvin who wrote, this is not a description, a mere description of a call to faith, but a particular call to a certain task. So he comes up and says, you know me. You've seen me turn water into wine. It is time that you move as active disciples to follow me and start bringing the kingdom that I've already begun to bring. Isn't that true of so many of us sitting in this room? You in Auditorium B, all of us online. Oh, many of us in this room know Jesus, love Jesus, affirm his miracles and his teaching. But Jesus is coming with a certain assignment and saying, leave everything, a greater thing as at a foot. It's called that, kingdom come. Peter, James, and John, did you need it? Did you see it? Jesus walks up to them. You go, well, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. In this culture, if you wanted to become a disciple, you approached the rabbi. A rabbi never approached the student. Yet Jesus reverses the whole religious system, and he walks up and says, I want relationship with you. I want you to imitate me. I want you to follow me. If you wanted to follow or teach or a rabbi, you would go up and say, can I do it? Are you willing to have me? Can I walk in the dust of your feet? And the, the teacher would say yes or no, but not here. Jesus comes up and says, I want you to follow me. And did you notice it? It was not an option. It was not a Canadian Tim Hortons, get in line and we're going to be, no, no, now. You are following me at this moment, for I am who I am. Follow me at this moment. So Jesus begins. The kingdom has come. He says, I'm going to make you something that the world will remember. I'm going to make you fish for people. And so his entourage is established. And Jesus begins to walk through this area called Galilee. 300,000 people lived in Galilee. 200 towns and villages. And this next little verse is a summary of all of Jesus' ministry in all four Gospels. Jesus went through Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. You want to know what Jesus is about? Right there. First thing he did is he taught. He went to formal settings like this. He'd open up the Old Testament in synagogues and he would tell them why he and the kingdom had come. He'd be out in non-formal settings, proclaiming, telling the good news. He was giving the gospel, the good news, that Karav was taking place in him. But not only that, it says that he began to heal every sickness and disease. Every time he healed someone, it was a signal that the kingdom that had not fully come was now come in him. And not only that, it was a signal that everything that has haunted the human family did not have more power than him. Can I say that again? Sickness doesn't have more power than Jesus. The devil doesn't have more power than Jesus. Death does not have more power than Jesus. Karav, the kingdom, has really come. And so Jesus begins this ministry. And news, verse 24, read it with me, begins to spread all over Assyria. And people brought him all who were ill, various diseases, those suffering with pain, the demonized, those having seizures, and the the paralyzed, and and he healed them. Can Can you imagine the moment? Listen, you gotta go meet this guy, Jesus. Oh, another religious leader, you joking me? No, really, he's the real deal. Sure, yeah, there's 400 of them a day. No, you got to understand, my aunt went, you, you, don't, you don't get it. See, you don't understand, like every night at 3, 8, like she has been tormented since she was born by things that are unholy and, and, and she, she just walked by Jesus and, and he looked at her and, and they're gone. They're, my brother, like you got to understand, like remember the accident? Lost his leg, went, healed. Like, can you imagine? It's, it's not over-promise and under-deliver. Every person who starts coming to Jesus has an encounter with the kingdom come. Real diseases are healed. Demons start leaving people. People who say, I will never, ever be whole in this life, suddenly are whole. And this begins to spread more and more and more. People start running. I mean, this is what was promised 740 years earlier in Isaiah. By his stripes, we would be healed. Each time someone meets Jesus, they of course are healed because the ultimate hope of Christianity is in the resurrection and is guaranteed healing. And yet even in the now, God sovereignly chose to heal and does heal some people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so as we wait for this amazing new heavens and new earth where there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death, as we wait for this, God is still coming and giving evidence Verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, this is even more important for today. Let me tell you why. See, Decapolis was a Roman region full of Romans and and Greeks and Jews who were not following the, the Old Testament ways. They were living a Hellenistic lifestyle, and yet other people were coming from the centers of religious and political and orthodox power, Judea and Jerusalem, and then people were coming from other places in Galilee, which is the backwater of Israel. But you've got to catch this, like Jews and non-Jews and Romans and Greeks and mixed families and unfaithful and faithful people, all of those people who actually hate each other with a visceral hate we don't even understand, all are driven to, they're running to, they're bringing people to Jesus why because he actually is the king of the kingdom and he actually came not just for jewish people but everybody 
And so he begins to do this intellectual, uneducated, high, mighty, lowly. They all come. And notice this this morning. This is so important in the middle class. He doesn't do it with money. He doesn't do it with an army. He doesn't do it with any supporting or backing from the Romans. He doesn't have one religious leader saying, oh, I think this is the guy. Israel, Jerusalem, they're not all raising up and saying, no, we're with him. They're saying, no, he's not right. But he establishes the kingdom anyway. Why? Because he's really the king of the kingdom. And it's not changed. Jesus still is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our cry in this church is that the presence of God would come more and more among us. We are asking for this Karav experience through the Spirit of God to keep growing. This unnatural nearness, this proximity. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth down here as it is in heaven. What happened in the Gospels, Jesus is inviting us to continue to do. That is why this cry is not just a cry, it is genuine. We are saying, oh God, we want Jesus among us. We want more of his will among us, more of his lordship among us, more of his healing among us, more of his forgiveness among us. We want more of his love among us, more of his unnatural, strange presence among us. We want more of your loving rebuke. We're crying out as a church from the guts of who we are, Karav, nearness, Lord, nearness, Lord, because we are desiring that just like then, people would rush to him through us and say, I have found peace. As we prepare to really launch into the year, let me give you three thoughts. Here's the first thing this morning. This is the general sort of application before I get to the specific. Any person who's a Christian here this morning, no matter how long you've been one, have you just stopped lately and said thank you? He decided to find you. The great rabbi and teacher didn't make you crawl to him. He came to you and said, you and you and you and you. I want to know you. This is the grand reversal of what you see everywhere else in religion, in secular humanism. And God comes. And I'm just saying the more thankful we become as a church, the more unity and power and holiness and, 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 and godliness we'll have among us. Because when we really realize that just like he did with Andrew and John and others, he just walked up and said, I, I'm going I'm to follow. I'm going to make you follow me. There's hope there. Just this week, just take a moment and just say thank you that you sought me out first. But there's more this morning. As I was wrestling this week, and I mean that appropriately, really wrestling with this, this passage and this invitation where where Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men and women. You are going to come bring the kingdom come with me. I said to Jesus Genuinely, like, what do you want to say to your church? I mean, you always, your word always is speaking, and there's general applications to every church around the world, but is there something you want to say on this September day, in this launch season, in this part, like, is there something you want to say? And I really believe I have a yes to that. What I'm about to share, I would categorize as a small p prophecy, as we talk about in this church, or a small word from God. It's not scripture, but I want everyone to listen intently. Because I really believe that the Lord is giving this to us in this season. Because as Jesus is asking us to pray this, and as we're being more open, here's what I believe. The Lord of this church and the Lord of every church in Durham is speaking in this season. 
And you know I don't do this very often. So here's the first thing I just want to say. For some people here today, maybe our whole church, but it is imperative that some of you hear this. Jesus has overcome the evil one in this region. No, no, this is very important. Just like when he took him on in the wilderness and he fled. And as we know, according to Colossians 2.15, that Jesus by the cross ultimately stripped the evil one of his power and made mockery of him. Someone in here today or our community or a group of you need to hear, he really actually is defeated. There is not a principality, power, ruler, authority, or demon blinding or messing with humanity in this region that Jesus does not know by name, has not conquered by name, and said, you're done. This is so important that we hear this because as we step out and pray for the kingdom of God and we continue to encounter wickedness, we all in this church better know Jesus actually has won already. And so for whoever that is this morning, I just want to say to you strongly, Jesus is Lord, the king of the kingdom still has teeth, but our guy won. So take hold and stand in this season. But deeper than even that declaration that is just biblically true, here is the real thing I believe Jesus is asking of many of us in this church. Jesus is looking to see if C4 is actually going to join him. Now, please hear this. Andrew, Peter, John, and James knew Jesus, were at Cana, saw miracles, even probably saw his teaching. They went back, and they were not disloyal to Jesus. They just went back to normal life, which is fine. But Jesus came in that moment for a certain task and said to them, I now need you to put everything that you think that is important in proper perspective. I believe that Jesus Christ, as we've been praying since 2011, is preparing this region for something we have never seen. And I'm not the only pastor saying this in this region. And I want you to hear this. I believe that Jesus Christ is calling C4, I'll only speak for the house I'm in charge of, with my other leaders and elders. I believe he is calling us for this particular season and task. Jesus is coming to this church and is declaring this, that he is going to start walking through Durham in a way he never has. When I was praying and heard this and tested it among some people, I, I want you to hear this. Since Durham's inception, Jesus has never walked through this region like he's about to. Like he has decided sovereignly because he's sovereign. That he is going to start walking through this region. And his request of broken, normal Christians like all of us is, Will you go with me when I do something you've never seen? He's asking us the saved, we the followers, we the disciples, the church. Would you just be open when I decide to do this thing? To walk with me as they did. This is the first sign of real awakening that God in his Trinitarian self has decided in sovereign providence to be walking through our region should produce in this church unbelievable hope, great promise, should breed in us a faith we have never had, an anticipation, an expectation, and a boldness. When I was praying and wrestling with Jesus, the image I had, which was so powerful, was him walking the doors. And homes 
introducing himself to people who aren't even looking. He was walking no, on the streets. This was the most profound one for me. He walked up at the four corners of Whitby and he just looked people in the face and started meeting them. See, this is what the Lord is deciding in sovereignty to do. No church can invent moves like this. Not smoke and lights. God decides to do this. And the question before us is this. Do you, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, will you just be willing as an individual in a church to say, yes, Lord, when you begin to walk through this form of Galilee where many people from many cities and many backgrounds in one region are drawn, will we be with him or will we miss this act that he's decided to do? Amen. So this is all I give to you this morning. The kingdom of God is of great value. It's greater than anything you can own or possess. The kingdom of God, many will say no as it is given out. Many have said no, as we learned last week. But the people that say yes, it will be 30, 60, 100 fold. The impossible will take place. And Jesus comes to us in this season, and not just to us. He comes to Harvest, and he comes to Calvary Baptist, and he comes to Pickering Pentecostal and Bayfair. This is not about denominations. There is one church in this region with one Lord and one Master. Then he comes to all of us, and he says, Do you not know my heart? As I cried and fought for Galilee with 300,000 people, so it is the same for Durham. So in this moment, all that Jesus asks is this. Would you even be willing to say yes to following him? So let's take a moment of silence, knowing that all prophecy must be tested. But just say to the Lord, anything you ask, my nets are yours. Would you in this auditorium, in the auditorium next door, online, wherever you might be, would you stand with me? And would you, would you pray these prayers with me as we prepare to respond? O God of heaven and earth, King of kings and Lord of lords, oh, how you love us even when we're not looking for you. And as a church this morning, you know where we're all at, Lord. But here it is. We're asking you, God, to look at Durham. You own this world, but look at Durham. God, our Father, begin calling people to yourself in a way you never have. And Lord, not by our own power, but Jesus, we do invite you into our region. Would you start meeting neighbors and friends and enemies and strangers? Would you start meeting people actually in this auditorium? Lord, would you um, send out your Holy Spirit and empower the church as you empowered those four men and others to carry on what you began? We lay down the reputation of C4 
We don't want us to be glorified only for Jesus. We want people to meet Jesus, know Jesus, be transformed by Jesus. And we just ask you, Lord, for renewal and revival and awakening. We pray, oh God, that your kingdom would come. And Lord, we really do pray that uh, sin would be forgiven across our region. Marriages would be brought back from the dead. People following false gods would meet the true living God. People who don't believe in God would meet God and be transformed by his love and grace. We pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that people looking for you, not looking for you, would be found. We are asking one simple thing. We are asking kingdom come. Oh, Karav with Durham, Lord, the unnatural nearness of God. Nothing less, we want nothing less in this season than that. All glory be to God the Father, forever praised. All glory be to Jesus Christ, his Son, forever. All glory be to the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, buyer of our salvation, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen, amen, amen.